Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's Infection Control Matters. Uh, my guest this week is Dr. Ginny Moore, who's the scientific lead for uh, the built environment at the UK HSA. And we're going to be talking about a topic we've actually had on before when Alicia Demirjan talked about staff capitalists. So, Ginny, you just had a new paper out. Thanks very much for agreeing to talk to me about it. No worries. <laughs> okay, tell me the background of the paper, why you went out looking in the environment, and then we'll discuss techniques if, if people are interested in doing that sort of stuff and uh, and where we might go with it. Okay, so I think probably um, Alicia probably gave you a good overview of staff capitalists when she was um, talking to you. But just as, a, I guess, a recap, um, during summer 2020, um, UKHSA was alerted to a perceived increase in um, invasive infections caused by um, methicillin-resistant staphylococcus capitus in hospitalised infants. Um, a national incident requiring um, a UKHSA standard response was declared in June 2021. And then a number of task and finish groups were established to focus on, on different aspects of the response. Um, and I was involved in the task and finish group, which focused um, on the healthcare environment and specifically the potential for staph capitus to colonise and persist within neonatal units. So basically understanding if and how this organism can survive with this environment would then help inform perhaps uh, preventative or infection control measures. Okay. So as part of this then, you went out sampling in the southwest of England. Can you tell me how that went and how you decided where to sample and, and the, a bit about the zones you picked as well, because that was quite interesting. We, we took environmental samples from four different neonatal units two of which at the time of sampling had known colonizations on the unit and two without. Um, and so we used a zonal analysis approach, which basically focused on the baby as the potential source of infection, with the hypothesis being that the surfaces immediately surrounding um, the baby would be more likely to be contaminated. And then we, we took samples in zones in increasing diameter away from the baby. So we focused initially on the, the neonatal unit, uh, the neonatal um, incubator, then the uh, immediate bed space, so you can imagine moving out, and then further within the NICU bay itself. So perhaps more communal, commonly used um, items of equipment like the, the milk warmers. And then we also then moved out of the bay in which, um, say, the colonised infant was um, to take samples in staff-only areas or areas where the uh, parents may use. Okay, and so these were multiple incubators in one room, or was it one incubator to room per room in those settings? So in the the settings that uh, we visited, there were multiple incubators in one room. Okay, and what sort of spacing between them? Just as a matter of interest, really. Well, um, I, it it did depend very much on the unit. So that was one thing that was obvious. You know, I yeah. think um, the units differed particularly in the ones that we visited, because we visited some very modern units, um, which case there were quite, you know, a couple of metres space between um, the incubators um, to some much older units where obviously the, the, the just the environment itself uh, was, a, was a little bit more cramped. So it did okay. vary depending on unit. Okay. Um, yeah. Now, you said you, you had some where you had known cases and some where there weren't any at that time. Had, do you know how long it had been since a previous case or had they had none at all, no history at all? So one of them, one of the, one of the ones we visited um, 
for, for everybody's for in, in in terms of um the knowledge available by everybody there they'd had no cases um yeah. and in another one there'd been 12 12 months between cases okay uh, and were they actively looking for it? Were they screening it or it just would have come up as a clinical sample, you know, something like a blood culture that they would? Yeah, so my understanding is that they were, there was no screening. My understanding is it would have just come up as a um, when a, a specimen was taken, okay. a blood blood culture or something, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's um, generally only blood cultures that are I'd speciated, really, for the coagmeg staff, isn't it? So that's why it can slip yeah, under the radar. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, okay. Uh, can yeah. you talk about how you actually did the sampling? As you know, people are yeah. interested in that yeah. sort of methodology. Yeah, so I mean, as, as you know, there's a, there's a variety of ways you can choose to sample a, a surface, um, and that can depend on the environment you're you're um, sampling. But for this for, in this instance, we use just nylon flock swabs, and we suspended the swab in a liquid amy solution, and then plated just onto blood agar. Okay. Um, so it's quite a resource-intensive uh, procedure because obviously once we blood agar detects everything, um, <laughs> and so we yeah. did do a lot of subculturing and mouldy toffing to identify staph capitis. And alongside uh, this particular study, we did spend a bit of time um, looking to see if we could uh, utilise any of the chromogenic media that are currently oh, okay. out there to make yeah. our to make our lives a bit easier. But for the purposes of our study, we cultured everything that we could, and then identified everything that we could. <laughs> I mean, actually, did the chromogenic agar have potential? Do you think? To I was thinking about if you had a, I mean, would this be something a normal clinical micro lab, even though they're not accredited generally to do environmental samples, would they be able to use these techniques to check their own environment? I think so, and I think I think perhaps what the chromogenic agar might be, might allow us to do is actually make screening out some organisms or some colonies easier. Um, so even though it might not identify the target organism, Staph capitis in this case, um, it might um, help us not bother with a whole heap of yes. heap of um, colonies. So it might make our life easier that way. Because I can remember using chromogenic agar for MRSA to pick out MRSAs. It was the same sort of principle, is it? Yeah, very similar. Um, okay. Yeah, what very similar. What did you find then? Tell me what you found. So well, we, we sampled, um, I believe, she says, uh, 173 surfaces throughout the four NICUs. And in fact, that was actually five visits because we did actually go back and sample one of the units twice. Um, and 40 of those, so about 21% harboured um, staph capitis, and 30 of those, so 75% of those staph capitis isolates identified were actually the methicillin-resistant NRCSA clone, which is the, the clone of, of interest in this case. Mm-hmm. And we did recover staph capitis um, from surfaces across the NICU setting, but the NRSCSA clone was rarely recovered from outside what we're calling um, zone A, so the one immediately surrounding the baby. So zone A is just the inside of the incubator or inside and outside and just the whole of that piece of kit? Yeah, so inside and outside the incubator. Okay. Okay. So what I should say perhaps as well is that during this study, so we had the opportunity to sample um, incubators that had been taken away from the actual unit because they were due to be cleaned. And so what we were able to do was actually break down those incubators um, and sample 
areas within that incubator that if there was a baby occupying the incubator, we wouldn't normally be able to able to sample. So okay. things like the mattress, for instance, or surfaces underneath the mattress. Right, okay. But m- most of the sampling was done with the baby in situ, was it? Yeah, most of it. Yeah. Okay. So um, mm. just on those occasions, we were able to go inside the incubator as well. Now, you found it in units that have, obviously, a patient currently there with, but you also found it in the units that didn't have. Do we? Do you know if actually there was much cross-transferring between these units? Was one of them as like a specialist centre and, and patients maybe were going in and out of it and back to these other units, or was there, was there limited opportunity for that sort of transfer to go on? No, so my understanding is that there was opportunities for babies to transfer between, between um, hospitals. Hmm. Um, whether that was the reason for finding this particular organism within those units, I'm not sure. I mean, I certainly finding or recovering staph capitis and RCSA from uninfected babies hmm. um, has been documented previously. Uh, groups in France have done a lot of work in this area and have found very similar results to ours. Um, so it could just be that its babies are, are colonized. Uh, just not not causing any problems, so there's no need, there's no reason to detect it. Hmm. Um, but certainly, to answer your question, there is scope. Yeah, there is, um, it's interesting though, isn't it? Because there's clearly something going on somewhere in that they found it, I think, first in the Netherlands or Denmark, and then all over France, and then all over here, and the number of countries, the list with the same clone in all around the world. There's obviously not going to be that amount of trans- transfer babies between the two. So I'm just wondering how what's how's it getting into these because you're not finding it anywhere other than the the immediate incubator and around the baby who's colonized if i'm right you're not finding it in the patient area so you know in the the the, um the family area so it's it's unlikely that the families are bringing in and why would they have the same clone anyway have you got any ideas yeah it's very interesting i'm mulling over a lot and i no clue no I mean, there's, there's previous there's previous um, studies that do suggest that it's not because the the caregivers are are colonised. Hmm. Um, I think um, current thinking might be that actually the antibiotics that are used within the neonatal units are kind of like providing a select some kind of selection pressure hmm. um, in terms of providing an environment which will allow these resistant organisms to perhaps proliferate or survive. Um, well, I think it's, it's got to be there to be able to do that, though, hasn't it? So how's it got there? You know, I, I'm wondering if it's if there's some piece of kit that goes into neonatal units that's very Lord. commonly used in neonatal units around the world, a bit like the heater cooler units that were coming pre-installed with mycobacteria. You know, is there some something that's generally considered to be low risk? Therefore, no one's going to really worry about it, but it comes in that way. Yeah, that's something. You know, not quite sure on yet. And I know there's um, a lot of work that's going on with um, by UKHSA colleagues and colleagues in Imperial looking at perhaps the, the gen- genetic diversity as well mm. in terms of these organisms that are being detected mm. um, to get some indication as to to how related um, they are. Okay. As well, so that that uh, you know that kind of information as well will go will will help. Yeah. Um, so you said you took apart some incubators without a baby in them and enabled them to get uh, into areas that you wouldn't normally have got out with a baby there. What did you find with those? Did you find that, that you were getting plenty of positives from that area? And, and actually, how difficult was it to take these things apart to be able to get at those sampling areas? 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I think, so one of the reasons, well, you know, well, one of the reasons why it could be that we're finding it on the incubator is that the incubator actually, it would, it would appear to me anyway, has been quite a difficult piece of kit to clean. Um, so <laughs> yes. once we did, once we did start to break the incubator down, you know, you could see that there's quite a bit of nooks and crannies mm-hmm. um, that that um, bugs could um, quite happily survive in. So, so how easy was it to break down? I mean, you know, certainly not trained, so. <laughs> <laughs> other people were doing that for us um but it does go to show that you know you can only clean as well as you can yeah, dismantle yeah. an yeah. item of equipment i remember peter hoffman years ago was his some colleagues marked one of those with an ultraviolet marker and challenged him to oh. clean it and he missed six out of ten okay yeah it yeah. was and if Peter Hoffman can't clean it, it's borderline uncleanable, yeah. I suspect. <laughs> Cleanable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's the issue, the cre- isn't it? I mean, you say that you, you weren't trained to do it. I'm sorry about the poodle in the background. I'll look it <laughs> out. Um, you know, you weren't trained to take it apart. Do, do you actually know if the staff who are cleaning those were really trained to do, to clean that incubator properly? Because I've I've seen issues in the past where people haven't been that well trained to clean and the, the product they're using is on and off in 10 seconds. It doesn't get any contact time. And, yeah. and in one outbreak of Vasenitabactra I looked at, the only reason they got away with it is they were using hydrogen peroxide vapor on all of the incubators before going back into use. And when the chap went off sick for a period, they didn't get, that bit didn't happen and suddenly they had a cluster of Vasenitabactra cases. I mean, yeah. that's an issue, I think. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think that, you know, the cleaning protocols differed from unit to unit. Yeah. And who cleaned the incubators differed from unit in unit as well. Not uncommon. So I think one of the things probably that this instant highlighted perhaps is that the, the need for a sort of like perhaps more national guidance in terms of cleaning hmm. uh, within the neonatal the neonatal unit. You, um, you didn't have to notice. Course, you know, I think the thing is, Sorry, I was going to say, you didn't happen to notice if they were all exactly the same incubator or if you got lots of different brands, which would require cleaning in different ways as well. Yeah, so in the, in the main, I have to say that in the, in the units, and obviously, you know, you know, we only visited four, mm. you know, but mm. um, in the main, they were very similar units, uh, similar incubators, so they were quite similar. But I guess that the thing is with environmental sampling is, is, is if you look you can find and that's not to say that because you find that becomes a risk yeah um, so recovering or isolating an organism doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to cause any issue it could simply be oh it's a, it's it's an indication that perhaps cleaning could be improved or it's an indication that a surface is difficult to clean or it's an indication that people like me swing by with a swab take a sample just before somebody has cleaned yeah. <laughs> you know? yes, and had I right. sampled five minutes late uh, sampled yeah. five minutes later it would be clean so, yeah, so um, I was just wondering that really because it, you know if the babies are colonized then it's likely you're likely to get contamination but the fact that you t- you'd sample some that weren't in use and that were ready to go that had been decontaminated ready for the next one that indicates that maybe the cleaning isn't effective enough I mean do you, is there some way of auditing the cleaning that you might yeah, be able to make a recommendation on because doing micro is very time intensive. Results take ages to come back and that sort of stuff. I mean, you know, were any of these units using any form of audit process to get some sort of assurance that, that the incubator had been cleaned well? Um, 
No, no, not in the not in the units that we'd sampled. I think we did uh, recover this organism after one of them had been cleaned, and that could that could well have been due to some kind of cross contamination during cleaning. Mm-hmm. Um, another one, uh, I think, when we're going right down into the depths of the the incubator, that just could be because it's very difficult to clean. I think one of the areas that we want to look at in a bit more detail in all likelihood to rule it out as any kind of risk but the fan within the base of the within mm. the base of the unit mm. um, I mean because if you look at desktop fans around the place they're normally covered in what we called called gunk uh, did, were, were they visibly clean the fans or because that that certainly would disseminate again wouldn't it yeah so again it it, it, it differed between between unit now that could be because different in between age of incubator mm. or it could have been due to differences in cleaning protocol okay um but certainly um i think that's that's one area that would be quite interesting to to investigate a, a bit further yeah like i said just to rule out anything more than anything else yeah okay i mean what how would you do that when would you test the air coming out of the fan to see if there's dissemination or would you actually sample the fan blades itself yeah i think well i think um you know here at port and down we have the um facilities which we can use so i think we would we could go full worst case scenario and artificially contaminate um, a machine and then see if we can detect the the marker um in the air mm. with some specialist air sampling equipment um, so that would that would be the aim I'm not familiar with the incubator, but presumably, if if it really was coming out air-wise, does that blow into the incubator? Does it blow away from the incubator? In which case, you would expect to see it a little bit more widely disseminated, which you didn't really find. Yeah. Or is it actually bringing cool air in t- towards what towards the baby? I'm not sure. Yeah. So I think my my understanding is that it's a it's a way of distributing the humidified air. Okay. So it's towards the baby rather than away. Yeah, and I think that's another interesting. I think that I actually think that the near near latent incubator is really quite an interesting piece of kit. You know, the fact that the the humidified air, the higher temperature, um, that can be within the unit when the babies are very small. You know, how does that affect um, the the survival of um, of the, any organism really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not yeah. just not just Staphylococcus. I was, and I was also wondering about the condition of the incubators, you know, the plastics and that sort of stuff. Were they getting damaged or crazed from use of different chemicals that, you know, because people have different protocols, that sort of stuff. And then when you get damaged, they become much more difficult to clean. But were there any obvious issues like that with them that you spotted? Um, so certainly it was interesting talking to some of the staff um, as to the difficulties that they found with some cleaning products so some sub did bring up the fact that some cleaning chemicals can damage the particularly the, pl- the plastic mm. um, the plastic covers um, which makes it difficult for them to see through as well yeah. so yeah. Um, it's not the practicalities of using the thing not just cleaning cleaning yeah. it but certainly I think I mean we didn't notice that but that wasn't the focus of the investigation but certainly anecdotally yeah um, some of the cleaning chemicals were highlighted as a um, okay. You know, there's a bit of material incompatibility going on. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, I mean, it'd be interesting yeah. to do a bit of qualitative research then on what the barriers were yeah. to staff actually. <laughs> do, do they actually feel they've cleaned an incubator well? How long does it really take to clean an incubator and how long do they get to clean yeah. the incubator? And I suspect they are two different yeah, numbers. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Practicalities against efficacy. Yeah. Efficacy, yeah. 
So any other yeah. pieces of work going to spin out of this now? Are you going somewhere else with this particular piece of work? Or you, is this the task and finish group done with this area? Um, so I think this is probably, um, this was what a main focus of the task and finish group. Um, the UKHSA have stood down the incident. Like I say, it would be nice to look at the cleaning of mm. the of the incubator. So that's something that would be would be quite keen to to look at. But also, as as you just pointed out, get kind of like the opinions of and and a real life mm. uh, experience of incubator cleaning. Yeah. Um, and perhaps you know, look at. Um, I mean, for example, I mean, just it would be nice to engage with some of the the manufacturers of incubators as well, just to. Yeah, I was just about um, to ask that. You know, have they shown any interest in this work because they're making the kit that is actually difficult to clean, and how much human factors do they put into their design processes when they're making something? You know, I, I mean, I've looked at yeah. pulse oximeters recently that you put on your uh-huh. thumb. And the, it, you squeeze it with your fingers to actually put it on, and there's three nice little grooves on it so that it doesn't yeah. slip. Well, but what what pressure is that going to be at? But what you're doing is making it uncleanable. Yeah. When it could be perfectly smooth because you know you're only squeezing open something that's going on somebody's thumb. It's not like you need a vice or something like that to do it. So it's, there's a lot of design pieces that actually make something much more difficult to clean. And so it'd be interesting to see if the manufacturers were to prick their ears up and say, you know, what, we'd like to do a bit of work on this as well. Yeah, no, absolutely, definitely. That would that would be that would be nice because I think you know it doesn't have to be huge. Well, I say that not knowing how much any of this costs, but it it would seem that it doesn't have to be huge changes hmm. to to facilitate. Um, yeah, or if they're designing the next model, making yeah. it easier to clean. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. We're just making it easier for staff to clean. Yeah. Okay, okay, <laughs> fascinating stuff. <laughs> I was still no nearer answering my question, though, of where the hell is it coming from, but there we are. It will all come no. out of the fullness of time, hopefully. And everybody go, damn it, I had an idea it might have been that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, any ideas? Yeah. Answers on a postcard to the following address. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Well, thanks very much, Ginny. I really appreciate no your time. Fascinating study. Okay. Nice practical stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you.